Okay, Tracy, I have been waiting to tell you about this thing on the podcast. I want to talk about my spooky seance birthday. Okay. Oh, I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) Rowan and I had a whole conversation about something completely different, and then we hit record, and now I get to learn about ghosts. Well, I waited. I waited because it's a really good story, and we have a podcast of stories, you know? Anyway. I'm I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm loving it. So. Tracy and I, we went on separate vacations, if you can believe it. And we actually didn't communicate with each other for like 10 days. It was yeah, bananas. It was weird. It was weird, actually, if I'm being frank. Um, <laughs> for my birthday. So we're in Vermont, where Mark, who is not my uncle, technically. He's my mother's best friend. But every mm-hmm. single person in the family adopted him. So he's my uncle, Mark. And his husband, Pete, they have a spooky Victorian mansion in Vermont. Mm. Mm. Oh, my God. Okay. And when I say spooky Victorian mansion, Mark and Peter have this insane talent for restoring buildings. And they have this incredible eye. They always find items to put in them that look like they should have been there all along. And they find these weird books that you can't believe were even printed back then. And so the whole thing looks like a movie set. It's so perfect. And like the downstairs bathroom has a tiny little door in it with a little spooky face and you open it up and it's just (gasps) a little cubby. It's just a little cubby. to. It's a cubby for your house elf. Well, Oh, wow. I, wow. Okay, I was going to turn it into a reading nook, but the house elf would probably be okay with that. How, I mean, how big, is, is it big enough for reading? It's In my big. head, it's like, okay, in my head, it was like, like big enough for a house elf. It has you know? stickers inside of it because a child used to live in this house and put stickers inside of it. I know. Scary, right? What is it about children <laughs> that is inherently scary? Okay. <laughs> so we're visiting and... My mom and my Uncle Mark just decided to be the coolest, most brilliant people in the world. For my birthday, my mom got me a custom-made Ouija board that has <gasps> this really cool eye on it that she painted. And oh, my God. She and Mark and Pete set up in the attic with no electricity of the spooky haunted Victorian house. They set up a full-on seance. There's a big table. It's got the Zodiac tablecloth on it. There are candles everywhere. Oh, my God. But wait. In true, true willing and fable fashion, I do not know how they did this. They found an article from a food blog that talked about the family that originally lived in this house. And how how one of the young women died in the house. Oh, my. How? How did they find that? So it's this maple cream recipe, which is so Vermont. I've never heard of anything more Vermont. (laughs) And you know how food blogs have someone's entire life story before you finally get to the gosh darn recipe? Apparently, they chose to have the entire life story of a bunch of dead people, which is awesome. They have photos of the original recipe written in this woman's beautiful Victorian handwriting. And apparently, her younger sister died in the house. Oh, my God. That is insane. I have the original newspaper clipping printed 
to read. (laughs) Of course you do. This is incredible. William Fable, we don't mess around. But more importantly, my mom and my uncle don't mess around. So is everyone ready? They're the heroes of this podcast. So I'm going to read the article and I'm just going to include the first names and the rest will be redacted. Young woman was found dead in her room yesterday morning. Miss Helen, the 26-year-old daughter of Mr. and Mrs. G, was found asphyxiated in her bedroom yesterday morning with a gas jet connected with a heater turned full head on. Physicians were summoned, but they said the young woman had been dead several hours. For some time, Miss G had suffered from melancholia and frequently complained of severe headaches. Her father had planned to take her to New York City and consult a specialist next week. Thursday night, Miss G seemed to be in comparatively cheerful frame of mind and spent considerable time at the piano, playing and singing. Later, she went to her room. The door was found locked yesterday morning. There's so much to unpack there. Um, Not the least thing being melancholia will now, from now on, be the word that I use to refer to any emotions that are not utter bliss. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. There's so much to unpack there. That is so interesting. Okay, but we have a theory. This young woman was complaining of headaches, and she died because of gas? Like, what It sounds like it could have been some kind of... It sounds like it could have been accidental. That's what I thought, too, based on reading it. It sounds like she got sick from something in the house. That's what we all immediately thought. So... We do this full-on seance with this Ouija board. It's a lovely, delightful time, I will say. We only got, like, a little spooky ghostness, but the Ouija board was, like, actually made of raw wood, so it wasn't really slippery. I don't know. The point was, it was a delightful time, and then Tyler and I had to stay upstairs in the attic room and sleep there. Oh, no. So it was like being on Ghost Hunters. (laughs) (laughs) it was so fun the attic doesn't have electricity yet i was gonna ask because you mentioned no electricity earlier i didn't know if it was like oh they turned off the lights or if it's like no there's no electricity you're living like they did well back in the day they kindly ran an extension cord up with power for us but it it was dark and uh um uh peter uh, stuck spooky dolls under our pillows so we would find them. <laughs> See, me sitting in the daylight in my own home finds that hilarious. Me, if I were there, would be so unamused. Oh, I know. I had the squiggles because we were reading ghost stories and one of the ones I was reading was about this haunted doll. And of course... They have haunted dolls laying around the spooky Victorian house. Of course they do. So he just stuck them under our pillows. And Tyler and I ended up hanging them in the window looking out because they'll protect (laughs) us, we decided. But every time I went up and down the stairs, I just said, hey, hi, I'm coming up. Sorry to bug you. I don't want to startle you. I'll just be a minute. I just kind of (laughs) announced myself Mm -hmm. uh, and had a running monologue going. It was the best birthday ever. (laughs) I don't know if I can accurately describe the vibe, but 
it felt like I was in the movie version of my life. Like it was a, it was definitely a main character moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it was the right amount of spooky, like the amount of spooky that makes it a fun time, not like when I didn't sleep for three days because I, I had to sleep in an old house from the 1800s that just gave me the heebie-jeebies. Oh, I love the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> I hate the heebie-jeebies. I'm not going to lie. I did make Tyler walk up and down the stairs with me every time I needed to leave the room. Like once I was in the bedroom, we were sealed in. The covers were a little envelope because if your feet mm-hmm. stick out, something's going to get you for sure. Of course. Those are the rules. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but so I hope this lovely young woman, Helen, had a good, happy life and that maybe her melancholy was just normal existential dread. And I don't know. The two young women that lived in this house were single into their 30s. Well, I mean, her older sister was single into her 30s, which is not common at the time. They were a very Mm -hmm. affluent family, like had their clothing delivered from New York City kind of affluent. Yeah. Oh, I need to see pictures of this house. Oh, there will be pictures, my friends. I am over the moon. So thank you for coming to Ghost Story Hour at Willing and Fable. If it was a little incoherent, it's because I am still so heckin' excited. I'm oh, I'm so happy for you. It was such a different experience for me sitting on the beach and not talking to anyone for a few days. <laughs> I never really thought about that. You were sitting on the beach in the sun and I was in well, a you know, spooky under an umbrella in the house. shade with a t-shirt and a hat on, but yeah. You did have a very good outfit picture that you sent me and it, was it dancing skeletons? It's a skeleton doing like the uh Devil rock on hand gesture. <laughs> That's what our girl Tracy wears to the beach, everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I do. The last day of vacation, the rule was don't look at me, don't talk to me, don't need me, don't perceive me. Oh, I love that. I was <laughs> the opposite. I was like, everybody better perceive me because if you don't, then I won't know that I'm not the ghost in the house. I wanted to be the ghost in the house, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have an important question. If you had been there on this vacation. I would have been sleeping in between you and Tyler, for sure. (laughs) I was going to say, would you sleep up on the spooky haunted top floor with me? Yeah, yeah, but only with you. Like, I wouldn't sleep. I don't care where you were sleeping. I would be there. Right, like if I was sleeping inside a cardboard box, you'd be like, move over. (laughs) Move over. I'm getting in that cardboard box with you. (laughs) It was, oh, it was so cool. All right. So, uh, hi, I'm Rowan Hall. I wish to be perceived in this moment so that I know I'm not a ghost yet. I'm Tracy Harrison. I'm all right not being perceived. Don't need me. Don't talk to me. Don't perceive me. Don't address me. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently I will be doing the podcast by myself today. (laughs) All right. All right. I can be perceived and addressed and spoken to for you. She's haunting me for podcast purposes. This is Willing and Fable, the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. The research is so in-depth, my friends, that we have ancillary relatives bringing in the info. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
If you like this podcast, you can support us by joining our Patreon, buying our merch, leaving us a review on whatever streaming service you listened on, or you can write about us in a diary that will be discovered 200 years from now under the floorboards of your home. But no matter what, we're happy you clicked on this episode. I can't believe I wrote that before I even knew your story. You did. Oh, that was a really good one. I forgot what I wrote for this, and I read it right before recording and made myself laugh. So just in case anyone was wondering, those little bits are for me and me alone. And if you enjoy them, I'm very happy. But they are entirely – I am the audience I'm writing them for. So full disclosure, I pulled up the script before we recorded, and I was prepared to write one because I didn't know if you'd done it. And I was going to do an on-theme one, but you had already written an on-theme <laughs> podcast uh, request. I'm a bucket of contradictions. I love spooky, scary things, but also hate to be afraid of anything at any given moment. Hmm. Yeah, you know? I, I, uh, I will exist at odds with that for the rest of our lives. I look forward to bringing you into many a spooky house on the Willing and Fable world tour we love to imagine. We will yes. be staying at the most haunted hotel I can find at any given location. No. <laughs> can I have one? One. You can a have really one. good one, though. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you okay, have, okay. You can have one, like, really good one, and we're sharing a room, and I'm sleeping in your bed, and I'm cuddling you the whole night. Okay, sure. I got you, babe. You're not, <laughs> I know you're not going to be asleep because you're scared, and I'm not going to be asleep because I'm so excited, so I'll bring snacks. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> this is why we work. <laughs> so... Before we get into the story this week, we have a few new patrons that we want to thank. We kind of have a bunch of new patrons. Yeah, we do. You guys are the best. Our Discord is so much fun with everyone, like all the original people welcoming and making all the new people feel special and welcomed and like sharing cool books and stories and art. Oh, oh I know. I love it. If our Discord were a physical place, like a clubhouse per se, our clubhouse would be a secret attic library room in a spooky Victorian mansion. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. So thank you to Nuria C., Wolf, Carly, Evan M.B., Carrie F., and Meg R. We are so happy to have you as part of the Willing and Fable family. So today we are recording an episode that only exists because the Willing and Fable patrons were kind enough to let us know they liked the story mm -hmm. that we were writing in between research. Yeah. The the idea that started this was just Rowan and I jokingly – we joked about making an episode writing each other as D&D &D characters. I don't even remember which one of us came up with the idea for mm -hmm, that episode, I don't know. how it happened – and that was just a one-off fun little thing for the end of our first season. And then all of our patrons in the Discord loved it, did cool stuff with it, were really excited about it, and it gave us the idea for expanding it into this much bigger thing. And that was completely because of all of you guys listening. It's really fun. And so today, the critical question is, Tracy, mm -hmm. which dice – would you use from our beautiful Greenleaf Geek stash if you were playing Thea in a campaign? 
I actually thought about this a lot um, while I was writing this chapter, and it's not one that I own, which means it's one that I need to get. Ooh! Yeah, yeah. Oh, I went on, listen, I'll do anything in the world to procrastinate, and this was a delightful <laughs> way to procrastinate. So you know it took me forever, and I went through every single dice that Leah is selling on greenleafgeek.com and decided that Thea would use the Enchantress set. Excuse me? They're beautiful, Rowan. I put a picture for you so you can see. Because I liked the combo of colors, the fact that they're kind of blue to purple mm. to pink to red, and with gold lettering, but they're not the, the same sparkly as the Galactic Disaster Buy. And it's a different shade of colors. They're a lot warmer than the Galactic Disaster Buy ones. And it just felt like... Thea. I really like that, well, for me, they look like a potion Thea might mix. Yes! That's that exactly what I was thinking. may or may not go right. <laughs> oh, iffy. 50-50 on that one. <laughs> I, okay, so I'm going to change my answer then, actually, mm -hmm. for which dice Rosalind would use. Because I was going to go with my Medusa set, because Rosalind has an image to maintain, so she's yeah. going to go with the stony, like, decisive, right, dice. But she's also kind of disagreeable. So I think if you were saying, hey, Rosalind, pick your dice, she would be going, no, I'm not using dice. I'm using Greenleaf Geek's new runes. So there you go. <laughs> because <laughs> I found out from Twitter that Leah from Greenleaf Geek at Greenleaf Geek on Twitter and Instagram is making handmade resin rune sets. Oh, I love that. I, I, what? I, okay, I didn't even know that was an option, and now I need. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I, I am not gonna lie to you, Rowan. I, I got Tim Dice from Greenleaf Geek for his birthday, for his new character. Uh, because I really genuinely, you guys, love her dice and believe in them. Which ones? Tim, stop listening. Which ones? Oh, no, he got them ready. He got them ready. Don't worry. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. I, 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 got other, I got other gifts that I haven't told people about because <laughs> I don't want them to hear it here. But uh, for Tim, I got these. The It's the, the, the purple version of the red dice that you have. Ugh. Mm, yes. Because offhandedly, he was chatting about his new character, and Jamie's like, if you had to pick a color for him because she was doing art, she's like, what color would you do? And he's like, oh, I'd do purple because he's a cowboy necromancer. Aw. Cute boy. So, <laughs> so I got him his purple cowboy necromancer dice. So if all of our online shopping that's happening basically in real time is intriguing you, please check out our sponsor Greenleaf Geek at greenleafgeek.com or at greenleafgeek on social media. And if you go shopping, or rather when you go shopping, please use our coupon code FABLE, that's F-A-B-L-E, for 10% off your order. Some restrictions apply. All right. Look okay. at this. Mm -hmm. Tracy, are you ready to tell me a story? <sighs> um... Yes. You know how it is when you write a story. As you're writing it, you alternate between this is the greatest thing I've ever done and this is the worst thing I've ever done. And <laughs> now I have to read that out loud to a lot of people. So I'm okay. ready. I have a, a question for you. Why, why do you think these chapters 
are more stressful than our usual stories. And you don't have to answer if you don't want to. No, I thought a lot about this. I'll be honest with y'all. You guys know me. Hi, you know me. Hello. I think because our regular episodes are so much about the research and getting facts across and sharing the knowledge with people. And as a little sprinkle of bonus, we can do some fun writing. But the heart and soul of the episode is not the quality of our creative writing. I mean, that makes a huge impact to it, but so much of it is how we research. Whereas these, it's just about your skill as a creative storyteller working alongside another creative storyteller. And that's the focus of the episode. And so to me, I don't get that crippling perfectionism with our normal episodes because I just need to pick and choose the facts that make sense to share, get it in the timeline, be authentic and honest, but creative and for this apparently is where my crippling perfectionism comes in that's so fascinating see that i love collaborating with you because i think i view the regular research episodes a little differently i see the creative storytelling portion as kind of a challenge to myself and the question I'm always asking myself every time, inevitably at 3 a.m., the night before, um, is what can I bring to the table? What makes my work an addition to the legacy of this story mm-hmm. rather than just a restating of what already exists? Mm-hmm. And Sometimes that's very much about just saying, here, we learned this. Uh, please also be included. But sometimes it's really not. And I yeah, I like that we approached. I didn't know we approached the episodes so differently. And I love that. Yeah, it is, it is interesting because I, I think I approach it in the way of how can this story be an entertaining way to share information with people? I think my stories, I always try to include facts in them as much as I can or make it uh, an engaging way to learn mm-hmm. while still having fun storytelling. And you can see it very clearly in, in yours where yours is so about the legacy of the story we're telling or the people we're talking about and bringing your new perspective to it, which is why I always say I love how you like inhabit these people so thoroughly. And these, I think there's so many more elements to play. You know, when you write a short bit for an episode it's very self-contained and these every word that i write could have an impact on you in the next chapter and what it means 20 chapters down the line right well you know we decided to write a story (laughs) on the fly and here we are yeah anyone who um you know how they always say there's writers that are um planners and pantsers i think is what it is like you either plan or you write by the seat of your pants Mm mm-hmm we're somehow doing both. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone who's wondering, I swear Tracy and I do have an outline. We do. It exists. It exists. That's all it I exists. have. It's vague. <laughs> okay. So you ready for chapter three of The Wizard and the Rogue? Yeah. All right. Rosalind was starting to wonder if all the saints and unnamed gods of this world and the beyond were conspiring against her. It seemed a reasonable explanation for why she'd barely gotten the sentence, Who wants you dead? out of her mouth before the skies opened up above them and rained down a wrathful flood. 
The rain came down in such thick torrents that she could barely see her hand in front of her face. Icy drops pelted her from every direction despite the tall walls of the alleyway surrounding her. The rain soaked to the bone in an instant and sent a chill throughout her body that she knew, from experience, wouldn't go away any time soon. Theo muttered something sounding like a curse in a language Rosalind didn't understand before shouting over the pouring rain. We need to get out of the storm! Rosalind bit back a sarcastic reply, through an effort that could only be described as heroic, and replied simply through gritted teeth. Any ideas? Thea thought for a moment. My apartment isn't too far from here. We can get out of the rain, get supplies, and... and... Figure out what to do from there. Rosalind couldn't deny that it was as good a plan as any she could come up with at the moment. She'd lost all of her supplies aside from the two daggers in her boots. With no food, clothes, or weapons, the two of them wouldn't last long on the run. Not to mention that idiot captain clearly didn't know who Theo was. So the odds of him tracking her down to her apartment before they could get in and get out again were slim. It was a risk, but given their circumstances... It was the best out of their shitty options. Rosalind stood, already feeling the effects of exhaustion settling into her body, and gestured to the end of the alley. Lead the way. The two women wound their way through the alleys of Westfall, keeping clear of any guards that might pass their way. The fact that the prison alarm bells hadn't gone off yet told Rosalind that the captain was too proud to admit he'd lost his prisoners. He'd no doubt throw his full effort into finding them, but he would be quiet about it for now. That gave them some time, and time was the most precious thing they had at the moment. Thea led them to a building that looked like it was barely holding itself upright. Rusted ironwork and rotten wood swayed slightly in the wind, and the whole building seemed to groan in protest. It had the same drunken posture as the patrons stumbling their way out of the tavern across the street, tilting dangerously to and fro as they moved. Thea often wondered, during the many storms that plagued Westfall, if this would be when the building finally gave up and passed out in the street like so many others before it. She just hoped tonight would not be that night. Thunder roared overhead as Thea led Rosalind inside up the creaking, leaky stairwell towards her door. Shit, Thea whispered. Rosalind, thoroughly soaked and unimpressed, merely raised an eyebrow in question. I... I forgot I don't have the keys anymore. That captain took them from me. Thea backed away from the door and looked around the dim hallway. We'll need to find another way in. Maybe... maybe scale the side of the building and get in through a window... At the sound of the door creaking open, Thea turned in surprise. A smug look crossed Rosalind's face as she tucked a lockpicking tool back into her hair. Thea's brow furrowed. She tucked it back into her hair. Thea shook off the curiosity, eventually, and pushed past her into the small, cramped apartment filled with more books than furniture. Aside from a small desk and wobbly table, that is. A thin cot sat in the corner near a fireplace, and every other available space was filled with spell ingredients, books, scrolls, and... Rosalind didn't even know what else. The sight of something in the corner of her eye caused Rosalind to duck into a shadow. She melded herself into the darkness as she saw a glint of light off steel. 
Saints, we aren't alone, Rosalind thought. And Thea hadn't noticed the man yet, so Rosalind couldn't warn her without giving herself and the element of surprise away. A man was silhouetted in front of the floor-to-ceiling window that took up most of the apartment's exterior wall. Illuminated by a passing lightning strike, he was a formidable presence that caused Thea to freeze. "'I've been waiting for you,' he said as he lifted his weapons, ready to take the small wizard down. He held a rapier in one hand and a sharp-looking dagger in the other. He held the dagger in a reverse grip, holding his fist heavily around the hilt with the blade pointing downward as though he planned to punch Thea in the face with the weapon rather than stab her with the blade. Rosalind decided that enough was enough and slipped out of the shadows to face the man herself. She recognized the stance and the way he held his weapons. It was a distinctive, if not ridiculously impractical and obnoxiously showy stance. It was useful only in the most brutal and up-close forms of combat, and there was exactly one troop of assassins who used this style. It was the House of Morna, a brutal and bloody band of assassins who preferred brute force and showmanship over genuine skill. They also only took very high-paying jobs, which meant their presence here was bad news. To make matters worse, the scars on this man made him easy to identify. He was one of the most violent among their ranks. Rosalind was going to need to tread very carefully to get both herself and Thea out of this unharmed. Rosalind placed herself between Thea and the man. She was acutely aware that she was at a distinct disadvantage if he decided to attack. She was soaked through, freezing cold, and essentially weaponless. She needed to come up with a plan to distract the assassin until the right moment presented itself. Cocking her head to the side and looking him up and down, Rosalind finally spoke. Is the House of Mourner so desperate that they've started going after poor wizards living in shitty apartments now? I knew you were on hard times, but this is rather pathetic, even for you, Micah, don't you think? Rage flared across the man's scarred face and he gritted his teeth in anger. Good. Rosalind thought. Get angry. Make a mistake. You know who I am. Good. And you'll be smart enough to walk away from this. That woman is no ordinary wizard, and we both know it. There's a big prize for this one, he nodded toward Thea. And that prize belongs to me. Not if the Vilis Ver has anything to say about it. Momentary shock crossed his face before his expression settled into one of anger. I thought I caught the stench of a spirit weaver around here, but it doesn't matter. You're not stealing another prize from the House of Mourna. You're right, Rosalind replied as she slowly moved across the room. But only because I can't steal what you're not good enough to take in the first place. Micah spat on the floor before speaking. You spirit weavers all think you're so high and mighty, but you're nothing but a bunch of liars and thieves. You wouldn't last ten seconds in a real fight without those little tricks of yours. So I'll say it again. This kill is for the House of Mourna, not the likes of you. Rosalind walked casually over to the wobbly writing desk just to her left, keeping one eye on the man as she did so. Oh, I'm well aware I wasn't assigned to this mission, but, unfortunately, I can't let you kill her just yet. So, why don't you run on home 
and tell your boss that you failed at your task. I'm sure it won't come as a surprise. He's probably used to hearing that by now. How dare you! Oh, sorry, Rosalind replied sweetly. Is the truth a little too hard for you to hear? Micah turned his attention back to Thea. Call off your bitch or I'll gut the both of you right now. Thea blinked in surprise for a moment before crossing her arms over her chest. First of all, she's not my bitch, though your eloquence and choice of words is both moving and impressive. Second of all, talk to her when you're talking to her. At that moment, lightning flashed across the large window, illuminating the silhouette of Roslyn as she reached for the letter opener on the desk. Then, as though she were made of the very thunder that rattled the small room, she rushed forward to attack the assassin, catching him by surprise. The fight that followed happened in a series of vignettes that Thea caught through brief flashes of lightning. Roslyn swiped the letter opener at the man, but he ducked underneath and thrust his rapier towards her, slicing her arm. Flash. Thunder. Roslyn dodged the next attack. Flash. Thunder. Thea saw the assassin aim the dagger right at Roslyn, who slashed the letter opener across his hand as it came towards her, blocking the strike and causing him to yelp in shock and pain. Flash. Thunder. Angry now, he held the dagger tight in his bleeding hand and shot forward with the rapier. Roslyn rolled out of the way, but he kicked a chair that hit her in the chest, knocking her flat onto her back. Flash. Thunder. He rushed forward and pinned Rosalind to the ground, ready to plunge the dagger into her chest. Thea could see his arms were raised above his head, and she didn't even think as she shot out a fireball towards the man. He cursed and ducked out of the way as the blast burst through the glass window. Broken glass and rain shot through the apartment, and Rosalind used the moment of shock to flip the man over. She grabbed the dagger out of his hand and held it to his throat as she plunged the letter opener into his hand. She sat on top of the assassin's chest and twisted the letter opener deeper into his hand, pinning it to the ground. He let out a scream of shock and pain, but it was cut short as Rosalind pushed the dagger into his throat, causing a thin trickle of blood to stream. Don't make another sound, she threatened, and listen closely. You're going to leave here without harming anyone. You're going to slink back to your bosses and tell them that you failed in your mission. Ugh, stop squirming or you'll cut your own throat. Most importantly, you're going to tell them that Day Exile wants to talk with them. I have an offer they will most certainly want to hear. Do you understand me? The man squeaked out something akin to yes, and Rosalind must have been satisfied because she leaned back removed the dagger from his throat, and said, As soon as I pull this letter opener from your hand, you're going to want to run away very quickly. Otherwise, Thea here will set you on fire. Ready? One, two... With a yank and a squelch, Rosalind rolled off the man, taking her makeshift weapon with her. He stood, shakily clutching his ruined palm. I swear, I... We'll get you for this, Daixal. Your house won't protect you forever, and we will have the reward for killing her, and I will get my revenge. <laughs> Pointed at Thea as he backed away. 
Rosalind, for her part, simply wiped off the bloody blade, barely glancing up as she replied, <laughs> Don't make promises you can't keep. It makes you seem untrustworthy. With a final curse that was somewhat diminished by the groan of pain that followed it, Micah fled out the broken window and into the storm. Thea pulled herself out from the corner and surveyed the damage done to the room. You two managed to break every piece of furniture in this entire apartment. I thought assassins were meant to be stealthy. Rosalind's voice was frighteningly calm when she replied, Oh, wizard, I don't think you're in a position to be making quips right now, seeing as I just saved your life for the second time today. Does it help, at all, that I also saved yours? If it hadn't been for my fire, he would have stabbed you right in the chest. Rosalind replied, casually, I'm surprised you didn't let him do it, just for the irony of both of us being fatally skewered in one day. I thought about it, but I'm fresh out of blood oaths to save you with. I had to settle for a fire spell instead. Sorry to disappoint. Rosalind looked down at her arm, where the skin was still smooth and untouched. What's disappointing is that your damn blood is still poisoning my veins. That's twice today I've saved your life, and still the wound won't reopen. <sighs> so I'm going to ask you this one more time, Thea. Who wants you dead? Thea racked her brain, but came up short. While she hadn't exactly led the most virtuous life, She'd no doubt deeply offended at least four of the seven saints in the last week alone, and there were more than a few people out there who didn't like her, present company included. But for someone to want her dead? That was a level of hatred she hadn't realized she'd instilled in anyone, and the thought left a sour feeling deep in her gut. After a prolonged silence that made it clear Thea had no answer, Rosalind tried a new tactic. All right, tell me this instead. What is your real name? Thea balked. What? Thea is my real name. Your last name. Stone. Stone is a name reserved for orphans and people who are pretending to be someone they're not. What is your real name, Thea? Rosalind could see every inch of Thea tense up at the question, as though the answer was something she held close to the chest and promised herself never to reveal. A part of Rosalind understood that instinctive need to protect oneself through secrecy, lies, deception, and silence. But another, increasingly large part of her didn't give a shit about Thea's privacy if it got in the way of ending this damn oath. "'You're bleeding,' came Thea's eventual reply." Well, that's not what I asked. Well, it's the only answer you're going to get. I'm most certainly concussed, and you are bleeding from your arm. Thea crossed the room to the ruined remains of a table and picked up a few bottles. She began mixing two powders and a frighteningly green liquid into a cup before pouring in a shot of what Rosalind assumed was whiskey into the mix. Thea held the concoction in her hands and stared down at it pensively. Is that meant to heal my wounds? Rosalind asked this in a casual tone she hoped hid her morbid curiosity and hesitant interest in the magic. But Thea didn't look up from the cup. No, it's meant to fix the concussion from the beating you gave me. Rosalind refused to let the mild disappointment show on her face. 
Our oath healed that. Any stupidity you're experiencing is all your own. First of all, rude. Second of all, then uh, it, this is for the concussion I got when you forced me to run at a door. You didn't hit the door. I'm starting to wish that I had. Thea downed the drink in one gulp before throwing a rag in a bottle towards Rosalind, both of which the assassin caught easily. These are for your wounds. Rosalind poured some of the whiskey onto the cloth and held it to her arm with a hiss of pain. She took a few seconds to breathe in through her nose before letting it all out in a huff. At least it didn't need stitches. To distract herself, she asked, Why were you working for Arnold Mueller? That's none of your business. Saints above, it had been a long time since Rosalind had talked to someone this stubborn. All right, that wasn't true, but it had been a long time since she'd been this annoyed by it. Listen closely, Thea, until this blood oath is fulfilled, and we go our separate ways and never, ever, ever speak to each other again. Anything you have ever done or will do is entirely my business. Thea just cocked her head to the side and blinked a few times as the concoction she made seemed to kick in. She shook her head wildly from side to side as if testing that it was still attached to her neck. It was. After a long pause, she finally answered a gods-be-damned question for once. My father made sure that I wasn't able to work for anyone of reputable status in any town or city in the country. So I found the most powerful man of ill repute and made a deal with him instead. Why would you do it that? It kept me safe, and the deal worked out in my favor. Mueller may have been a criminal, but luckily for me he was also an idiot. He got his power through violence, not cunning, so it was easy to make a deal that benefited me in the ways that I needed. Thea paused, staring down at the floor. I didn't know about the assassins. I really don't know who could have sent them. Rosalind noted the sincerity in her voice and replied quietly. All right, I believe you. Before she finished wrapping a bandage around her arm. The two women patched themselves up without speaking, and the silence in the apartment was a palpable, living thing, punctuated only by the occasional burst of thunder. It wasn't awkward, per se, but it was the kind of silence that came about when two strangers were forced into an impossible situation together, where trust was easier to form than words, and when the fight mattered more than civility or friendship. Rosalind, finally patched up, collapsed against a wall, exhaustion flooding her body. She leaned her head back against the wood and closed her eyes. Her words were heavy when she said, I'm going to pass out now, Thea. Try not to die while I rest. Fair enough, was the only reply she received, though she could have sworn she heard the hint of a smile in the words as she finally gave herself over to exhaustion and passed out on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of eyebrow acting the two of us are doing during this whole story. <laughs> I mean, patrons will hear this uh, in our Patreon bloopers, but there were many times I had to 
look away or I made Rowan laugh because hearing her read the dialogue that I had written and do it so much better and so much more Rosalind than I could even imagine in my head, <laughs> like, made me start giggling. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, the thunder and lightning fight, we'll call it a lightning fight, was yeah. my favorite. It was so cool. I can it was picture just it. so fun. To, yeah, exactly. Like it, I just was imagining the cinematic fight where your only source of light is the lightning flashing through. And so all you can see are the vignettes happening and suddenly Rosalind going from losing to winning over the course of those flashes. You know when animals have cute little panic responses that are super random? I imagine Thea's version of that is, like, if she gets too nervous or scared, she just throws fireballs everywhere. Yes, absolutely. That was, like, something you and I joked about at one point, where, like, Thea is throw fire. I mean, what, what do we call it? What did, we, what did you call it in the first chapter? Like, I'm a shark. And it's like, no, you're a fish with fireball. Like, all <laughs> you do is panic and fireball. <laughs> I like to think that if if she were taking a test in wizard school and she was too nervous, like, her test would just catch on fire. <laughs> love that yes i totally could see her doing that and then i was like well when i was originally imagining this chapter i was like i have to have her panic and throw a fireball but then i was like well i can't have her set the whole building on fire and i was like but if it's dramatically raining then it's two birds one fireball (laughs) two birds one fireball baby oh i love it i love that i get to come into this not knowing where it's gonna go (laughs) because we have an outline it's just not chapter by chapter so i did not know it's like the vague story beats and i completely made up the house of morna because it felt it felt right like they needed the next step and they needed to really establish how badass roslin is I'm fascinated by this brute who uses mm-hmm. a reverse grip with his dagger, which <laughs> okay, is like... so I have to be honest with everyone about why that entire thing happened. It's like the equivalent of holding a gun sideways. Like, why? Yes. <laughs> yes. So Rowan sent me a video of someone ranting about that because it's something Rowan's ranted about in the past. <laughs> and she was like, at some point in our story, I need to make fun of someone using reverse <laughs> grip. <laughs> said challenge accepted and wrote in a a brutish assassin using the reverse grip which really truly is only good in very close very brutal combat maybe false maybe okay but i'm just imagining this big beefy man with his stupid reverse grip dagger and like rapier baby use a great sword and a dagger so i think that if roslyn had died with a dagger through the chest from this man she would have been a very embarrassed ghost yes (laughs) yes (laughs) she definitely would have been (laughs) she probably could have gotten herself out of that situation but thea panicked and sent a fireball out (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for writing that chapter that was delightful thank you Oh, I wrote a good chunk of it while on the beach, which was very different energies from the world I was in to the world I was writing. (laughs) I love coming back from vacation and just getting a chapter. Mm -hmm. It's like a little gift. I I also like that in kind of this high fantasy 
genre. There's like a shorthand. There are certain phrases you can use and everyone's like, oh, yeah, I can picture that exactly. I love that. And I hadn't thought about it until you were reading because it was so easy for me to create the movie of it in my head. And I was like, oh, right, Mm -hmm. because there's this legacy of language that is in high Mm -hmm. fantasy and you just really... You just really grabbed it and ran. I love it. Well, you can tell it's like most of what I read is high fantasy. So no, I'm like, cool. no, no, not, not you. No. High fantasy in this economy? <laughs> <laughs> Only serious books written by serious men. That's what I read. <laughs> Academic literature only. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Historical and academic literature. No, I can't do it. (laughs) I've got one voice, and it's Thea's voice. (laughs) All right, Tracy, (laughs) tell me something good. All right. So I went back and forth on what my something good would be, but decided it was going to be the book that I'm reading. Oh, haha. That's so funny because we were just in books and right. Good. Oh, honestly, didn't put two and two together. Was just like, what good thing happened to me this week? A book I like. What good book? What good book? What good book? The Atlas Six. Ooh. Oh, I've been yeah. wanting to read that. Yes, I'm I am only like a quarter of the way through, but already I'm so intrigued. It is about basically what happens in our world if magic was real, but in that kind of underground way where non-magical people don't really know about it. Hmm. And The Library of Alexandria didn't burn down and get destroyed, but burnt down to preserve itself and is actually being taken care of (gasps) by the Alexandrian Society. Uh, And so it's about these six different characters who are like the best of the best of the world in their magical specialties getting pulled into this year-long trial where only five of them will come out. So good. And there's illustrations, Rowan. There's uh, illustrations. And they're beautiful. So it's The Atlas Six by Olivia Blake. It's so good so far. I love the characters. They're all so shitty in that way that I'm really like, you're interesting. I like this. And if you want to read it, we will put it up on our recommendations page on our website. And recently we tweeted asking for independent booksellers who would ship books around the country. Mm -hmm. There's a huge thread of wonderful indie bookstores that do a lot of great events in their town and will get books for you. And if you do decide to buy this book or any book we've recommended or any book ever please consider ordering from an indie bookseller if you can because bookstores are are truly Mm -hmm. the best part of every place yes and if you really can't bookshop.org is another good option but really to do try to find indie booksellers but bookshop.org has this collective fund for indie booksellers to keep their bookshops afloat so please do your best to support indie booksellers Because, guys, there's nothing better than walking into an independently owned bookstore. Nothing. Not one single thing better. Confirmed. End of sentence. (laughs) My great dream. My great dream. Like, my version of Milo and Atlantis is for the Library of Alexandria to exist. For us to Mm -hmm. discover that it still exists. I Don't anyone come at me with reality right now. 
It's my dream. <laughs> yeah. So, Rowan, it's your turn. Mm. Tell me something good. So, uh, yesterday morning, I woke up and I ran to Sally Beauty and I bought a pair of $13 scissors and I cut my hair. And that is because, I guess, not unlike Samson and Delilah, I needed to sever my connection <laughs> to whatever god is <laughs> controlling my life, has a, mm -hmm. a predestiny, um... No, I, I, listen, I did a trim. I don't think that's enough to, uh, to destroy a, a divine relationship. I think it is if you decided that it is. Listen. Okay, 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 okay. I am all, I am here for that spicy mindfulness that we call witchcraft. Spicy mindfulness. That is what Jamie and I call it, because everything – we were talking – okay. We were talking about simmer pots the other day, where it's like you put a bunch yes, of herbs yes. and fruits and yes. stuff into, you know, into a, a pot, and you cook it on low heat on your stove, and then it makes your whole house smell good. And I was saying how you can find a lot of recipes for them that are just like Pinterest Pinterest recipes for a nice simmer pot. You can also find a lot that are like, this is a simmer pot for like good energy and good yeah, health. and it's do like, it. And literally the only difference is spicy mindfulness. Like, think about what you want to put into the world and what you want out of the world. Believe in those things. Believe in the power behind them. Put that energy into it. And it goes from Pinterest to witchcraft. Okay? <laughs> Obviously, there's a little more to it than that. But, like... I, I listen. Witchcraft is good for the mind because it just forces you to be a little bit more in tune with yourself in the world. Spicy mindfulness. Are we going to cut this whole bit out? Maybe. No! Who knows? I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Spicy mindfulness is. Oh gosh, Chef's kiss. I guess I'm out of words because I'm imagining you for one of those ten second TED talks, and all you do is come up on stage and go witchcraft spicy mindfulness and then drop the mic and walk away <laughs> that's probably the only way i'll ever do a ted talk yeah <laughs> so my spicy mindfulness i guess was cutting my own hair but i watched a bunch of youtube tutorials and i will say i did a great job your hair looks lovely thank you i listen i don't think anyone else would notice and that's kind of ideal for a curly haired human that is known as me i suppose um but yeah, whatever uh, God wanted me to be strong in some way about something and manifest mm -hmm. a destiny, I'm I'm no longer doing it, my dude. The dead ends are gone, baby. <laughs> I love that for you. You look lighter and brighter and curly and hydrated and beautiful. Oh, wow. Hydrated is a peak mm -hmm. compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, both you and your curls. All right, friends, neighbors, countrymen, get hydrated. Drink water, moisturize, practice spicy mindfulness. Yeah, spicy. And thank you for joining us today. Remember, stories grow with the telling, so if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon, okay?
Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch. Or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Mm-hmm.